Fifty years ago today, Yom Kippur, Israel, was attacked by Syria and Egypt. Nearly 3,000 soldiers died, many more injured. A day of peace and atonement turned into a day of chaos and bloodshed, a tragedy, but Israel survived. Yom Kippur is the title given to the day that comes from the book of Leviticus. Once a year, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies in the temple to do two things, confess sins of the people on the head of a scapegoat and make an atoning sacrifice. Fifty years ago, it was anything but this, an attack, Syria and Egypt against Israel. They survived, and an historic treaty was the result. Today, Yom Kippur is a day of solemn reflection and prayer for atonement, forgiveness. Christians know all about this, don't we? Our Yom Kippur was 2,000 years ago. Christ, hanging on the cross, was both high priest and atoning sacrifice. And in Him, we are forgiven. Welcome to Haven Today for a second week in a series called Encounters with Jesus. Later in the program, I want to tell you how to get a special edition DVD from us, a musical on the life of Jesus that's true to the scriptures and comes from a live performance from Sight and Sound Theater there in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Well, on this program, we're going to look at encounters with Jesus slightly differently. Joining me from the headquarters in San Francisco of Jews for Jesus is a friend of mine. And we haven't had him on the program in quite a while. Senior researcher Rich Robinson, welcome back to Haven Today. Thanks, Charles. It's great to be with you again. Rich, let me mention to everybody listening that we first met up years ago when both of us were students at a seminary in Philadelphia. But there is a difference between us. My Ancestry.com test showed that I'm only a tiny bit Jewish, but you are Jewish. And Rich, my calendar says Monday, September 25th is Yom Kippur, the highest of all Jewish holidays. So I want us to talk about that. But before we do, I want us to talk about how Jews are encountering Jesus today, yesterday. And before we go back to biblical times, let's talk about Jews for Jesus, your organization, and how your ministry has led Jews to encounter Jesus for, what, 50 years, I think now. Yeah, this is our our 50th anniversary as a ministry, and um, I came to faith, and I'll tell you how that happened, but that was in about 1973, and uh, I ended up coming on staff with Jews for Jesus as a theology student when I was at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School um, north of Chicago, and so it would have been about 1977 that I first got involved uh, with Jews for Jesus. So, you know, we we were just getting off the ground as a ministry at that point. We wanted to just get a, a testimony out to the Jewish community that there are Jews who are for Jesus. There are Jews who believe that he is the Messiah and the Savior and the Lord. And um, we wanted to just share that with our own Jewish people. Long story short, um, today we are international where where there are large concentrations of Jewish people, that's where we've established branches. But all this was new to me when uh, when I came to faith in Jesus. I did not know about Jews for Jesus. I hardly knew about other Jews who believed in him. 
But my story, you know, it is very similar to what I think a lot of Jewish people of my generation went through. I mean, I'm a boomer, and my upbringing was, um, I, I hate to use the word typical, because that's such an, such an overused phrase, and what is typical? Uh, <laughs> you know, there's so many varieties of being Jewish, there's so many ways of being Jewish. But it was typical in its own way. I, I grew up in a Reformed Jewish home in Brooklyn, New York, that is the liberal wing of Judaism. But I sometimes make a point to say that we weren't too reform. We weren't too liberal. My grandfather on my mother's side had had a more traditional religious upbringing. And I suspect that he was the main uh, religious influence on me growing up. He would take me to the synagogue on the high holy days, which uh, you mentioned one of those, uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on these days, we would walk, my grandfather and I, to the synagogue. And the rest of my family, on my dad's side and my mother herself, were very, very secular, very non-traditional. We were culturally Jewish. We, we did some of the holidays like Passover, more as cultural family gatherings. Not a whole lot more than that, but I nevertheless did go to Hebrew school, which met um, a few days a week after regular school, in order to prepare for my bar mitzvah. But Rich, let me let me ask you. That's probably more common than uncommon. There aren't population wise that many of the ultra orthodox that some of us see, say on a Saturday, walking to services, or you certainly see in Israel. But I guess the background, though, most of us who are Gentiles don't really understand that. You you were Jewish, and yet there's a difference between faith and practicing a religion. Kind of go into that with me when it comes to Judaism. Absolutely. Well, let me let me mention that only about 10% of Jews, according to surveys here in North America, only 10% identify as being Orthodox. And the ultra-Orthodox you, that you mentioned is a subset within that. So most Jews are somewhere else on the Jewish spectrum other than being Orthodox. You know, you, you hear that people today say that they're spiritual, but they're not religious. For a lot of Jewish people, it sort of flips the other way around. I would say they're religious, but not spiritual. They do some of the traditions, as, as, as many of the traditions as they personally feel comfortable doing as a way to connect with um, the Jewish people, to connect with their history sort of knowing that there's something distinctive about being Jewish. So let me just do something in my life that kind of solidifies that uniqueness for me. So they pick and choose what they want to do. But if you ask them, do they believe in God? The answer may well be no. Jewish people today, you know, there are those who go to synagogue. There are those who will do the occasional thing in the home. But God doesn't need to enter into any of that. So I call that being religious, but not spiritual. Mm, that's an interesting observation. Rich, I hope we're not going to have time for you to share your entire testimony, which is a fascinating story of how you met Jesus. But I want to encourage all of our listeners to, after the program, go to JewsForJesus.org. 
Did I get it right? Jewsforjesus.org? That is correct. Okay. And be sure in the search box, type in Rich Robinson, and there he's got his full story about how he met Yeshua, how he met Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's remarkable of how the Lord can break into somebody's life. He did it with you, you encountered Jesus, and it's still happening today, isn't it? Absolutely. If you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today and a program called Encounters with Jesus. I'm Charles Morris. At the end of our program, I want you to hear about a better-than-Broadway musical production on DVD called Jesus. Our contact information is haventoday.org, haventoday.org. Our phone number is 800-65-HAVEN, 800-65-HAVEN. Now, just before we return to our conversation with Rich Robinson of Jews for Jesus, see if you recognize this praise song but sung in Hebrew at the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem by Aaron Schust and Joshua Aaron, Because He Lives. Originally from the Gaither Vocal Band, but sung for us in Hebrew, this Yom Kippur, at the Garden Tomb. Rich Robinson, according to my calendar, (laughs) September 25th, Monday, Yom Kippur, I have heard it described as the Sabbath of Sabbaths when I was in seminary. Where does it come from in the Bible? Tell us about it. Let's talk about Jesus encountering Jews back in the first century. Let me let me preface that by saying that the biblical way of doing Yom Kippur is nothing like it's done today. In Bible times, we had the tabernacle in the wilderness, the focus of worship for, for ancient Israel, where God dwelt among his people. And after a time of being settled in the land, the promised land, the temporary portable tabernacle was replaced by a permanent building called the temple which no longer exists and the priests who ministered in the temple no longer exist the temple was destroyed by rome about 40 years after jesus died and rose from the dead so around uh, 70 a.d and that's when judaism underwent a a sea change major changes how do you have your sins forgiven without the temple, the sacrifices. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. in contemporary Judaism, the way we're taught is that by prayer, by deeds of charity, by fasting, and especially by repentance, these are the ways that we can have atonement uh, with God, that we can have our sins forgiven. And so rather than sacrificing 
animals today in a temple, Jewish people will go to the synagogue and recite prayers all day long, um, if they're traditional, imploring God to forgive their sins. Uh, we fast for 24 hours. And, um, you know, for those Jewish people, the Orthodox who still believe that there is such a thing as God and such a thing as sin, it ends with the the hope that God will inscribe us in his book of life for one more year. Mm. And we actually wish that greeting at this time of year. May you be inscribed for a good year. And wow. Then all is okay until we do it once again a year from now. Bible was was totally different. It was still an annual holiday, an annual holy day, but the context was radically different. Where, where do we find it in the Old Testament? We find it very briefly mentioned in Leviticus 23, which kind of lists out the seven uh, biblical holidays that uh, were part of the life of ancient Israel. When we come to the Day of Atonement, it doesn't give many details there, but it does say that you will uh, afflict your souls, according to uh, many translations, which has been understood to mean fasting. But to really um, get a sense of what the Day of Atonement was like in Bible times, you can go over to Leviticus chapter 16. And hey, if any listeners, you know, don't normally plunge into Leviticus, <laughs> let me just say, you know, get yourself a good study guide, get yourself maybe a good commentary and and do it. I mean, I know Leviticus is not most Christians' favorite book. We love Genesis with all the stories and all the people, and we love Exodus because of the 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 you know, we were delivered from Egypt, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, and then we get to Leviticus and it's like, what is this? Mm. Don't get it. Priests and sacrifices and all in great depth. Interestingly, let me encourage you if uh, if you feel that way. Traditionally, the first book of the Bible that a young Jewish boy was taught was Leviticus. Mm. I can't remember the reason right now. But if a little boy can delve into Leviticus, I think we all can. So <laughs> we're delving into Leviticus. We're in chapter 16. And this is the chapter that describes for us in detail exactly what happened on an ancient day of atonement. And just to set the context here, the tabernacle and later the temple, God's dwelling place, right? It was divided into three parts. You had the the outer courtyard, you had what was called the holy place, and then you had the uh, innermost room of all, the holy of holies. And as you move from the outer court to the holy place of the Holy of Holies, the space around you increases in holiness. The high priest, other priests, they did all kinds of things within the tabernacle during the year. But that one back holiest of all rooms, the Holy of Holies, that was off limits, except to the high priest one day a year. Mm. And he would go in there. And he would offer some animals to kind of cleanse the sanctuary of the sin of the nation, the sin of the people, so that so that God could continue to dwell there. And he would offer a goat for himself. And, and there would be these sacrifices also to atone for his sin and the sin of the people. They had sacrifices all year round that were meant to atone for sin. But this was 
really to be the climax of it all, maybe to atone for sins that hadn't been atoned for earlier in the year. So he goes through all this ceremony. Also, he lights incense, and uh, that produces a cloud of smoke while he's in the Holy of Holies, so that it kind of covers over what we call the mercy seat in some translations, which is, you know, over that seat is where God himself dwells. Mm -hmm. He dwells everywhere, but he also dwells specifically in, in that location. And the incense cloud is meant to symbolically shield God from being looked upon by the high priest. Um, you, you just cannot look upon God and live. So this is sort of a, a safety measure that also underscores God's holiness. But then after all of those ceremonies within the tabernacle, everyone goes out to, um, to the desert outside the tabernacle itself, and they take a live goat. This goat's not sacrificed. This goat is going to be sent off into the desert. It's going to run away. And the high priest lays his hands on the head of this goat, which a lot of translations will call it the scapegoat. It's also a modern day mm -hmm. word, scapegoat. Mm -hmm. Puts his, his hands on the head and then sends the goat off into the wilderness. Who knows where it goes? And symbolically, the sins of the nation are removed from the tabernacle, from the camp, from the people. Mm. That's the context in the Hebrew Bible. Let's add the New Testament. Let's add Jesus. Is what happened then pointing us to what is happening now with our Savior, Jesus Christ, with Yeshua? It absolutely does. And the place to go for that would be the book of Hebrews, which um, basically talks about how there's a heavenly tabernacle where God dwells all the time. And it portrays Jesus as our high priest who goes into that tabernacle. But instead of offering the blood of, I think it says bulls and goats and calves, he offers up himself as a sacrifice. Hebrews is really packed in there. It takes a lot to sort of just get through all of that and figure it out. But the idea is that we no longer have to do this once a year. We don't need to sacrifice animals once a year in a repetitive thing. We don't even need to have Yom Kippur as it's done today every year, though I identify with my people, so I sort of do a, a version of Yom Kippur that includes Jesus. But the, the point is that we don't do this every year anymore because Jesus offered himself as the final sacrifice for all sin, mm. for all time, for those who have faith in him. That's the connection. Hebrews unpacks it. The connection is also made at other occasions like Passover, the Last Supper. But to really connect up with the Day of Atonement, you go to the book of Hebrews for that. Mm, wow. What a great explanation. Well, we're out of time, Rich. I just want to say thank you. It's been a long time since we've had you on. And it was great having you on again today. May I indulge in my limited Hebrew and just say shalom. Thank you for sharing your faith with us. And I hope everybody will go to JewsForJesus.org and type in Rich Robinson and read how this brother 
in Jesus Christ came to faith. Thank you. Lamb of God, in silence you were led. Lamb of God, in innocence you bled. And now I can praise you all my days for
This is not just a special day for practicing Jews, but it is a special day for followers of Jesus Christ. And I was really blessed having Rich Robinson of Jews for Jesus back with us today on Yom Kippur. That was a former Jewish cantor who met Yeshua and sings for Jesus today, Marty Getz, and his most well-known song, Lamb of God. Now I want to share with you, before we have to go, a special edition DVD we have from Sight and Sound in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. It's simply called Jesus. I asked one of the actors in this remarkable stage production, Chris Bergamo, what it's about. I would say the heart of the production, Jesus, is the story of love that rescues. Jesus' love that rescues us. Within the stories, that uh, the way we sort of tell this story, it's you get to see the impact that Jesus has on, on the people that he interacts with throughout the show. And so you see, you start with Peter and James and John uh, and Mary Magdalene and all of these stories. And you, and you get to watch them as they interact with Jesus. And you watch to see their change that happens because of Jesus's love for them. And so I think that's the really cool thing about the way they, we put the, sh- the show together here is that you can get experience how they experience the Lord. Um, and watch the changes in them because of because of his love. The musical production Jesus from Sight and Sound. We have the special edition DVD for your gift to the ministry. Come to our website right now and watch an excerpt. Haventoday.org Haventoday.org Or give us a call right now at 800-65-HAVEN 800-65-HAVEN I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow when again we'll be encountering Jesus as we share the great story that's all about Him here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. It's hard to think about other people when you're hurting. An intense physical pain often makes it very hard to even speak at all. And yet Jesus, hanging on the cross, was able to do both. The weight of the sin of the world was dwarfing his physical pain, an agony beyond our ability to understand. And yet Jesus was able to look down at his mother and his disciple John and say, Dear woman, here is your son. And to that disciple, here is your mother. In the midst of his pain, Jesus was aware of theirs and spoke of their concern. What a picture of the immense love of Jesus. And today, that same Jesus wants to spend time with you. Invest in your walk with Jesus through Anchor Devotional. Try it out at getanchor.com.